part of the problem is that we're all speaking different nomenclatures. Like, you know, father, father gets up at mass and he says the word grace. He says it 15, 20 times because he's coming out of seminary formation, theological formation, and he knows what grace means to him. You do a straw poll of most Catholics walking out of the pews on a Sunday, you say, what's grace? And they're like, amazing. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another and special episode of Every Knee Shall Bow. I am, of course, your host, Mike Gormley, joined as always by my illustrious co-host, Dave Thunderclap Van Vickle. How you doing, Dave? <laughs> what? What is... I'm, I'm okay. That's weird. That's strange. Okay, well, I mean, it's stormy here in St. Louis, so I had okay. to come up with All something. Right. Hey, so I uh, so I was at Bosco this week. I was at the Bosco conference at Franciscan. Oh yes, how did that go? How did that go? I'm bummed that I wasn't there. One of my coworkers was there and said, "You need to go to this next year." So every person there came out to me and was like, "I love every knee shall bow." So I was like, "Nice." I was, and they were like, "Gomer's so awesome," and I was like, "Well, that's not as good, he's, but he's it's, okay. It's okay, but it's okay. He's he's but, awesome for a husky fella." yeah but no but it was good so like a lot of you know i was happy to hear that a lot of dres and stuff like that are listening and and everything and this one priest came up and he was like you're ruining my life with those five practical takeaways (laughs) he said i just want to i just want to like fade into oblivion but uh, but it just like makes me feel so bad about my ministry i have to just keep doing the five practical takeaways. and you just put your hand on the shoulder and say father you're a terrible priest and then just walk away no dave i have to tell you the thing that is giving me the most that is tripping me up the most about the last five takeaways where you said write like a sentence or two uh, on Facebook about why Christ matters in your life. I have been, every time I get a shower, I'm like, okay, what am I going to say? How am I going to craft it? And I'm yeah. so worried about crafting it, I haven't said right. a single thing. So right. I, mea culpa, I still have to do that. I have I have uh, two more days before I get a, uh, you know, get yelled at for not doing it this week. But Dave, we have a special episode today. Yeah, this is going to be awesome. So uh, we're joined by someone much more famous than we are, right? I, mean, I would say, yeah. well, would you say a B-list or an A-list guy? Oh, he's player? A-list for sure. He's you, A-list. Do you know what? A funny thing about this is that my old pastor, who yeah. is like my, like, I love this man so much. He's like a saint. He would always say like, well, Mark Hart's his favorite speaker. And I'd uh-huh. be like, I'd be so jealous. I'd be like, whatever. <laughs> you know, I'd be so mad when you talk about it. So today we have Mark Hart on. It's going to be awesome. Welcome, Mark Hart, to the show. You two are totally ridiculous, and I'm so thankful for it. Spiritually, yeah. Like genuinely, <laughs> genuinely thankful to our Lord in heaven and to the baby Jesus. <laughs> Six pound, five ounce, sweet baby Jesus. Beautiful baby Jesus. Yeah, so Mark, you <laughs> come to us. Is your official title, are you the vice president of Life Team? Yeah, I don't even know anymore. I th- they say executive vice president. Some days that gets you a cup of coffee. Most days it doesn't. You know, I'm, just- <laughs> I'm the executive vice president. I drive a Dodge Stratus. Get me a cup of coffee. I drive a Dodge Stratus. That was one of the best skits ever on Saturday Night Live. Absolutely. So Absolutely. The American Wasp family. Um, so what, what does it entail being the executive vice president uh, of, of Life Team? You know, uh, I just figured out I'm I'm now in my I'm starting my 25th year in youth ministry. I told God I'd give him one year. That was <laughs> like over two decades ago. Uh, on a day to day basis, you know, it's it's a lot of creative meetings, um, a lot of production meetings. I uh, I get to oversee our uh, our events, both for our training events for adults, our youth events. I get to oversee uh, our catechetical resources, our our web our website, our social media presence. So I have tremendously far more talented people. Uh, who work on my teams, and I just kind of get to consult and advise now. I, I was I was the the guy that had to do everything twenty years ago. Now I'm just the the gray haired guy that gets to let more talented people do their jobs. Nice, Good. the wizened old man. We were talking one time about how uh, 
how many parishes that have gotten on the track of evangelization and discipleship because, and they started with Life Teen. Like nothing else was going on at their parish and Life Teen started and it was like, it was like the one thing that just took over everything. And then they, that like what changed their whole parish, you know, it's amazing. You know, honestly, uh, it's funny you said that, Dave. We've actually seen that happen in in a lot. Of, I mean, in a lot, a lot of parishes. I mean, across the country, other countries. It's sort of like when, when the light bulb goes on and people say, "Hey, we're going to care about the youth." Oh my gosh, look what happens! Now parents are right. appreciative that you're caring about their youth. You know what I mean? And now there's energy, and all of a sudden, some of the you know maybe some of the older parishioners start looking right. around and they go, "Oh wow, look, we've got all these kids around it." Oh my gosh, look, now we have a guy in the seminary, and it all just kind of starts to flow from there. And you know, people want to give to something that's working, and they want to give to what they consider the future of the church. You know, and, and uh, so yeah, when, when when parish invests in their youth, everything changes. We were lucky at my parish because we got in on Life Teen basically on the ground floor, so our parish was more or less brand new. I think it had been around for maybe a year. And uh, Barbara Beal, my current boss, she um, was my youth minister and she was part-time. She got it up and running. And um, it was fascinating because from the very beginning, youth ministry was a priority for a young parish. And so the repercussions that I see is to this day, my parish retains a lot of young adults who have come up through the program you know, they'll go off to college, they'll start their life somewhere else, and then they move back to the woodlands, which is kind of a difficult place for, it's kind of expensive, you know, as a suburb for people to have access to, yeah. but they come back because they, they're coming back to the parish, and they're coming back to that life and that community that they had through Life Teen. And so I'm, I'm a product of Life Teen. I did the exact same thing. I went to college in Ohio, got a couple jobs elsewhere, but I ultimately came back and now have a thick iron chain that runs to my desk at St. Anthony. So I will go nowhere. I will go nowhere. The thick iron yeah. chain is called a mortgage. <laughs> Very good. The, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It has nothing to do with the job. It's all the mortgage. No, of course. So so that's awesome. And, and you've been a part of Life Team for a long time. But I'm really excited about this new thing you have coming out with Ascension Press, which is the 99. And like I, I was seeing so much buzz about it. And I, I kept like saying to Gomer, Gomer, what is this 99 thing? You know, before they they uh, they actually like sent us some promotional materials about it. And now I'm really excited about it. So, Mark, tell us about this program coming out like what what is it even well you know it was it was really funny so several years ago um you know I, i've i've done a lot of different studies with ascension you know mostly for for teens young adults that kind of thing you know bible studies stuff on the mass and then they came and said hey we really want to do something just to reinvigorate and reignite parishes you know because because certain parishes do evangelization really well and certain parishes have a vision you know what i mean and when they when they craft the vision they go find the right people like gomer you're talking about your parish in the woodland They've been a, a, a extremely successful, very I would call it a very evangelistic-hearted parish for a very long time. But they also invest a lot of resource to do that, you know, to reach out and and what I would I would call an, an atypical suburban parish, and that is that they're 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 constantly trying to reinvent themselves. They're thinking bigger. How can we get more people? You know, and and sadly, you know, a lot of parishes they don't do that. They don't have that that vision, that mission-minded vision, or they have a mission heart. But they don't have a strategy to accompany it, or a vision to accompany it, or yeah. they're or they're um, unwilling to put in resource, or the or the, the, the wonderful excuse we don't have any resource. You know, we haven't. You know, wh how can you? They're looking for the magic bullet. Right. What's the right. one little thing I can do for ten dollars that's going to affect thousands of people that doesn't get me out of my comfort zone? Um, <laughs> so when Ascension came and said, "How would you broach this?" 
you know, and, and, and you guys know too, as you travel around the country or even the world, you start to see that, you know, the church is very different from region to region. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, especially in the continental U S it's, it's, you know, the way you would approach evangelization in a parish in the Northeast is not how you're going to do it in the Bible belt. It's not how you do it in the Northwest. So, you know, just seeing all that saying, how do you crack this egg? And then how do you do it in a way that's going to be cost efficient? How do you do it in a way that's, that's actually going to last, that it's not just that magic bullet, seven minute abs, plug it in. And now eight months later, we're looking for the next, you know, yeah. book or whatever. So it was a lot of thought, a lot of prayer. And we kind of came up with um, sort of this threefold piece. Uh, the first piece of the 99 is a masterclass piece. And this is really important, really integral, because if people are just looking for the next video to turn on or the next book to hand out, it's not going to stick because there's no right. rootedness. And there isn't really ownership on the part of the parish. You got to, as you know, you got to get the parish leadership. And by that, I don't just mean the pastor or any paid staff. I mean those micro influencers, you know, the people in the parish who really get it, right. who are in the boat, they're drinking the Kool-Aid, they love the Lord, you know, and, and they just got that zeal. You know, it's the people that show up, for the, the same hundred people that show up for everything you do, right? Like, yeah, you have them on board, the people who head up your ministries, the people who are there, like first one's there to set up, last one's there to leave. You get the micro-influencers together. So the first comp component of the 99 is a masterclass component. We've uh, shot a bunch of videos. And in this one, it was great because I was able to call in a lot of friends, people like Father Mike Schmitz, uh, Joel Stepanek, Leah Darrow, Sister Miriam Hyland, Bob Nevsky, calling out a lot of different people who are really good at evangelization, really good at crafting a message in an inviting and engaging way and calling them in. And we, and we shot a bunch of original videos. They go like three to five minutes. There's about 18 to 20 videos. And then we've actually crafted full sessions around them. So this is something you can do with your parish staff, with your ministry leaders or micro-influencers. You can do as many or as few as you want. And it, it, re, it goes through everything. Things that you guys have talked about on the podcast before. Things like how do you craft your testimony? You know, really like the art, the art of evangelization, the art of invitation. How do you craft your invitation differently for a fallen away Catholic, you know, ch adult child versus maybe like that, that agnostic neighbor or that, that self-proclaimed atheist coworker? How do you kind of craft the message differently. And it actually, it actually helps the people in your parish to get organized. You're actually crafting lists, you're crafting a vision, you're crafting like a calendar. How are we, what are we going to do? How are we going to quantify our success? How are we going to kind of crack this egg on a parish level? That first part's really important because it allows the parish, it allows people to get on the same page and prepare for a couple months, a few months to be able to kind of say, okay, where are we really doing well? And where do we have room to grow? Oh, but it great. does it in such a way that the parish staff is not feeling indicted if they haven't done a good job, but I think that part's really important because you're also going to walk parish staff members who maybe, you know, maybe they've been in ministry for 10 or 15, 20 years. Maybe they really think they're doing a great job at evangelization, but maybe they're just falling into that trap of doing the same thing for 20 years instead of trying new things. So it almost acts like a SWOT analysis where you can kind of look at it and say, where are we doing well, but where do we have room to grow? But, but it's a collective piece, you know? So it takes that idea that, okay, well, it's father's job to get people to Jesus. We, we kind of re like recognize, no, the priests are, they're the doctors in the ER, but the lay people, we're all the paramedics. We actually have to get the, the, the blind, the mute, the lame, the crippled into the church for the divine physician. So it actually starts by trying to get everybody on board. So that's the first component. Does that make sense? Yeah. Let me ask you uh, a question that sometimes I get when I start talking about this stuff, because I think some people, especially in a parish mindset, especially when you have like neighborhood enclave type parishes where your main thing is to do the sacraments, right? To live the sacramental life of the church um, right. and uh, celebrate the holy sacrifice of the mass. And that's essentially the main thing. And then you add to that things like catechesis, you know, whatever. Um, 
a lot of people might hear this and say, you're saying words like strategy and quantify and success and failure. Sounds like you're trying to make the church a business, right? How would you answer from a thoroughly gospel-centered missionary way that no, even though that we might use similar language and stuff, we're not trying to reduce the church to a business, but you know, I don't know. What what would be your response to someone like that? I would say if you, you can look throughout, and you can look throughout the Old Testament, you can look obviously throughout the Gospels. You know, in the Gospels, Jesus is trying to relive the life of Israel and do it in a faithful way. You know, so he doesn't go haphazardly choose 70 disciples or 72 because 70 is a fun number. He's reliving the life of Moses. He doesn't just go choose 12 apostles because, you know, 12 is a, is a great biblical number. He's setting a structure, but he's setting the structure based upon God's own prescription. He's setting a structure saying, hey, you know what? Like Jesus understood this principle. I can, uh, my message is going to carry, it's going to be a lot more effective if I'm empowering people around me. So Christ himself modeled an apostolic structure, a discipleship structure where there's there's direct mentorship. There's, 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 there's the three he's got close, then there's the 12, then there's the 70, then there's the hundreds. And in doing so, I mean, he really is creating a structure because he knows a structure will sustain after he goes. That's why he's able to say, it's better for you if I send the spirit. But to, to say that, I mean, I, this is the hard part. We are an organized religion. Right, but we're so painfully disorganized <laughs> on a church level. I was like, really? Sounds like we're a disorganized level. religion right about now. It does, right? <laughs> it does. But if you, but here, here's the, here's the, here, there's the thing. Part of the problem is that we're all speaking different nomenclatures. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, Father Father gets a mass and he says the word grace. He says it 15, 20 times because he's coming out of seminary formation, theological formation, and he knows what grace means to him. You do a straw poll of most Catholics walking out of the pews on a Sunday. You say, what's grace? And they're like, amazing. It's amazing grace. But it, but ask them to define it. Most most Catholics can't define even what grace is. I mean, heck, the catechism takes 87 paragraphs yeah. to explain grace. Yeah. That's one micro example of the macro problem. We're all speaking over each other. We're speaking different languages. So what ends up happening is either I say, as a, as a Catholic going to Mass, it makes me uncomfortable. I went to Catholic school. I should know these answers, but I don't. So uh, I'm not equipped to evangelize. I'm not equipped to share the gospel. Or someone says, I have my theology degree. I know all these big words. And they lean into the catechesis. They lean into the information and the didache, the teaching of the apostles, instead of the kerygma and the person of Christ. And they leave with the information instead of the transformation. And that's where evangelization goes to die. I'm going to give you a laundry list of details. I'm going to give you these long litanies. And what Christ modeled more than anything was a presence. You know, he, he could have, in the Gospels, Jesus could have given sermons that would have made St. Thomas Aquinas look like a blithering kindergartner. Instead, what did he do? I'm going to share meals. I'm going to share space. I'm going to. I'm going to. I'm going to go to the to the uh, those who are on the out, who are the outcast. I'm going to share space with you. I'm going to break down my my most famous sermon, my sermon on the mount on the sermon on the mount. If that was even given in one you know in one sermon, which most likely it wasn't, it would have been the length of what a TED talk. If you read Matthew five through seven, it's the length of a TED talk. I'm going to break down my beatitudes to 140 characters or less. And they really are. If you go back, I've gone back and done this. Okay, they're 140 characters or less each beatitude. I have tweeted every beatitude. Honestly, but this is what's so, this is what's so <laughs> fascinating is that like that people they 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 have this vision of oh well Jesus wouldn't have done it this way. 
actually Jesus employed the best empowerment principles, the best communication principles. And just because he was the, 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 the divine God, the second person of the Trinity, he didn't lose his humanity and what he knew about human nature. And that was, I need to share space with people, go to where they are. I mean, hell, it would have been a lot faster for St. Paul just to set up a bed and breakfast in Jerusalem, right? Let him, let people come to him and he can share his stories. No, instead, the brother went out and traveled over 12,000 miles on ship by horseback and on foot because he knew this Jesus and other people needed to know who he knew. Don't you feel stupid, Gomer? Well, thank you for the complete answer. <laughs> hey, Why would you even ask that? Yeah. You know, you know, you know, one of the things that you said that I, I don't know, I don't know if anyone else caught, but like one of the things that you said that really stuck out to me was that like when you're doing this training or the masterclass that it, it does it in a way that the staff doesn't feel indicted. I think that that is like, I, Gomer, I know you've been in that situation where you're doing like a staff retreat and things like that or, or yeah. some kind of a mission. And I, you just feel awful because the poor DRE who's been there for 40 years, who's been doing really no evangelization at all. It's just like sinking in their seat and you feel awful about it. And I think that's important because they have been faithful for all those years. They just have no idea that this was expected of them or that they could do it or that they have yeah. any resources. So I think that's great. Yeah. I mean, for, for so many of them, it was just get the right books right. And, and organize the teachers organize this can if you're good at excel you could be a great deal yeah and right? yeah right and it's not see this is the problem is it's not a lack of personal faith and dedication it's a lack of greater formation in the truth and you know you have like you were saying mark earlier with the priest coming out of seminary you know having these definitions of things like grace and whatnot um in the seminary, they have people called formators. They have spiritual directors. They have a dean of students who oversees their their you know overall academic achievement. So many things are quantified and measured. And if it's not quantifiable, they're discussed and examined in the light of the gospel, in the light of you know spiritual um, teachings in the Catholic tradition. And then you pivot to the lady, and it's like, hey, here's a book. Hey, here's a video. But it's not training. And that's the thing that I see. And it's not training, like it's not just a weekend workshop that I'm talking about. I'm talking about an immersion into the habits and attitudes of an apostle. Right. You see that being asked by the Vatican in Decree on the Apostle of the Laity and Lumen Gentium. Right. You see it in uh, you know, Christe Fides Laity and all these different documents. The popes have cranked out, and it's like cranking out into into a, a, just an empty room. Or people read it, academics read it, and they're making all these comments on it. And it's like, it's not hitting the average person oh, in yeah. the pew unless someone like us shows up and shames everyone right. for not doing it. Hey, you know what you people need to do? How many of you have evangelized your neighbor? No one? How dare you? Right. Well, and this is, and this was so, you know, it was one of the, the first document that JP2 wrote, Catechesi Tordende. And one of the lines that stood out to me, he says, there's going to, and he was forecasting, he was prophesying about the future of catechesis. And he said, there's going to need to be a plurality of methods. And I thought, this is just this one-off line in the late 1970s, but how many people actually grabbed onto that? And how, and how many people have just kind of right. kept churning out the same thing every year? And I think that the people who are most effective in evangelization and truthfully in discipleship are people who are never resting on laurels. They're constantly looking up and saying, how can we tweak this? How can we do it differently? You know, how can we keep the core of the message, but how can we tweak it just a little bit? You know, to your point, you know, Gomer, like, I don't think like the DREs, these are faithful people. Like you were saying, Dave, these right. are faithful, 
God-fearing, God-loving men and women who have worked really hard for decades, many of them, in a very thankless job with, you know, with, with their full of volunteers. They've watched people grow. They're doing their best. Maybe they're like in some small suburban parish. They've got no resource. They've got no budget. They have the same kinds of, you know, like the, the same families who have been there longer than the last six pastors. You know, they're fighting a lot of different yeah. battles, a lot of different wars. I don't really meet parents who don't want to pray with their kids, and I don't even meet parents who are unwilling to pray with their kids. I meet parents who are scared to pray right. with their kids, who have never been trained how to pray with their kids, and who never had it modeled for that themselves. So now you have this sort of this clash where it's like when, when, if, I'm, if I'm talking to parents of my little ones or of my middle schoolers, my high schoolers, and I'll talk to them and say, do you pray as a family? And I, I'll get this blank stare back at me like, I don't even pray with my spouse. It makes me feel really, really awkward. I don't pray with my – we say grace before meals. But how many are really circling around? And all of a sudden, there's like this shame and this guilt. And rather than saying, I'm going to open myself up to this and, and ask the question or learn how to pray, it's just sort of like a, I'm just going to dutifully fulfill my Sunday obligation for that hour every week. But I'm not really going to open myself, my marriage, or my family to the to the gospel. Not because they don't want to, because they're ashamed or feel guilty, because they feel like they should have already known how and they failed. Yeah, absolutely. What what is one big thing you have seen over the last 25 years of ministry that you feel like uh, maybe I don't know one one message that you feel like the church really needs to take to heart right now in the midst of all the crisis and shenanigans? You know what I I really. I think that along the line somewhere, there became this um, reluctance to preach about the reality of sin. And it it breaks my heart. And I think that somewhere along the lines, whether that was you know before 2002 or before this current crisis, or it was just because, hey, we saw numbers dwindling because people are going to the, the big evangelical churches with the really comfy seats and the Starbucks and the vestibule, whatever it is, it it's sort of this um, – or it's like, hey, you know, we we have confirmation as a safety net. We have marriage as a safety net. We have baptism as a safety net. We don't have to do anything else. They're, 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 they, they have to come to us. I think there's been this this fear on on the part of a lot of of really great men, really great priests, to preach on the reality of sin because they're afraid of what's going to do to the plate. To preach on the reality of sin because they're afraid of what's going to do to the numbers coming through the door. And I'm not saying everybody, but I'm saying like, you know, how often do you really hear like that really soul stirring, jarring homily that makes you want to literally run to the confessional? You know what I mean? And I don't mean fear of God, fire and brimstone. I mean, really preaching about how, how through our sin, we, we disassociate ourselves from the father. You know, I mean, and I think that there's such a huge pre pre like prevalent father wound in so many of us, regardless of age. And, you know, it's funny, like nowadays, it's not even funny, it's the wrong word. A lot of the teens and, and the, the young adults I talk to and that I, I minister to and try to disciple, you know, some of them are coming from broken homes, single parent homes. Absolutely. But a lot of them are coming from homes where both the parents are home. And they're physically present, but they're not emotionally present because they're tied to their screens, because they're working too much, because it's like they're just trying to make ends meet. Again, that's noble. There's nothing wrong with it. But I would say like that lack of fatherly presence and that lack of parental presence for a younger church. And, and then for those of us who are older, who are kind of, you know, Gen X and older, that, you know, like I'm Gen X. I was the first latchkey generation, you know, so I didn't have that. My parents worked. I didn't have that presence at home. And that that does affect our relationship with the ever-present God. 
And I think those those two things, you know, like like the the misunderstanding of, of sin and grace and how desperately we need the mercy of God in the sacrament of confession, and also that kind of persisting, prevailing fatherly wound that exists. And then you then you just put on top of it, oh, and by the way, you know, there's been a lot of really bad shepherds. You know what I mean? And can you really trust the church? I think that's created this this huge storm. I mean, we can point to screens and social media and short attention spans and pornography and everything else. But I think those two or three key things have kind of created this this perfect culture. It's almost screw tape, like this perfect culture for the enemy to get in and to whisper in our ears and, and to leave us feeling like, how important is the church to me really? Not just Jesus, but how important is his church? And that's where I think we go off the rails. And that's what I'm that the second, third components of 99 are trying to speak into. Awesome. Why don't you list for us, uh, let's get a little bit more technical into the 99. Um, what are the three components and why do they matter and how do they interoperate with one another? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, uh, so I mentioned the masterclass piece already, and that really is to developed to empower everybody beyond just the parish staff, you know, to, to get more people in the boat, speaking the same language and moving forward and, uh, and, and really to, to figure out a strategy and how you invite new people. The second component is called the 99 experience. And this can take the place of, say, a parish mission instead of having just one person come in and offer maybe three nights of talks to be able to say, hey, there's these beautifully shot, well-crafted videos um, and again, it starts with this, with this incredible short film, um, but, but they have different presenters like Father Mike Schmitz or Leah Dara, Father Josh Johnson, myself, uh, Bob Lesnevsky, Sister Miriam. And these are designed to be shown over maybe like three nights. You know, So you can do three nights in a row like a parish mission. You could do a one-night event three weeks in a row. You could do like a whole parish day of renewal and just do it like over the course of a Saturday where you show maybe you know five or six of the eight videos, whatever you want to do. But these are designed to, again, to instead of just having one person facilitate, they fly and they fly out, you actually uh, – we have – built out each night of the experience so they can come in. There's going to be, there'll be music. There's going to be an opening prayer from someone there at the parish or this father or someone, you know, who's been through the master class. And it gives time between the videos for either personal reflection, prayer time. You can do journaling. You can do small groups. If your parish has, has small group, um, you know, kinds of families and that kind of a thing, or you can kind of do more of a you know large group. You can just turn to the person beside you, really leaving a lot of flexibility because different parishes, again, in different regions are more comfortable with and accustomed to and open to different kinds of processing when it comes to what they're experiencing, what they're seeing, but also couching it and building it into the parish where you can have live music, you can have adoration. You know, there, there's, if there's a great opportunity the second night, if, if you're going to do your, your communal penance service or that kind of a thing, and you have extra priests, do show these couple of videos and then open up for the confession. You know, So it's designed to be tweaked and to be able to utilize in different ways. And we give all those different ways in the, in the experience handbook, but for a parish to be able to plug it in in different ways to give a really powerful experience to those who come. The reason I wanted to do it, and sometimes some people say, why don't you just bring people to mass? Just bring people to mass. It's the source and summit of the faith. And they say it as though I don't know that, or you don't know that. Here, but here's the problem. Have you ever, have you ever invited that fallen away family member, that neighbor to a Christmas mass, an Easter mass or something, or a Sunday mass? Because you're feeling bold and they're having a hard time in their life. I'm going to invite you into this liturgical space now. You don't know the nomenclature. You don't know when to stand, sit, or kneel. And with my luck, it's always the Sunday when they're doing the bishop's appeal and they're begging people for money, like the Sermon on the Amount. It's, it's always my luck. Or you're on, or, or worse yet, you're white-knuckled in your car on the way and you're just praying, 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 Father, please 
please don't phone in the homily. Father, please give one homily and not four. <laughs> please let the let the music ministry find the right note. Please, baby Jesus, don't let it be the angry ex-military usher who's cramming people mercilessly into pews with a basket on the stick, yeah. whatever it is. And I have those moments, and I'm sure you have too. It's, it's hard to invite someone off the street or who has never been to church or left for a good reason into a liturgical context because they can't talk. They can't ask a question. They don't really get to meet anybody because most parishes don't do hospitality very well. In the 99 experience, you're bringing them on an off night where you can actually have people who are trained to be greeting people. You can in- introduce them to your friends. They can get comfortable in the space that we're very comfortable with, but for them might feel very foreign, like in the doors of the church, right? So it gives them a paraliturgical way. But the videos are designed to start opening their minds and their hearts to, hey, I'm running through this walk in life. Is there really a God? Do I really believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Do I really believe that he started this church? And do I really believe that I have a role to play in it? And do I believe that the fact that I woke up with air in my lungs means that this God is not done with me yet and I have a mission on earth? And to be able to start asking some of those questions, you know, I think where we go wrong is we constantly trying to give people all the answers, you know, in the church. But really the virtue of prudence is not steeped in giving everybody the answer. It's in helping them to ask the right question. And helping them to think in those terms of asking the right question of where they are in relationship to God and to their fellow man. And that's what the 99 Experiences is designed to do. And then the third component is it's called the 99 Handbook. And it is a book. And it's something that you could buy and hand to every family in the parish. And it's something that they can read, an adult can read on their own, or you can read with your spouse, or you can read as a family. Or if you get together with other families, or, or if you get together with other small groups, that you can do as, a, as an ongoing Bible study. You read a chapter, you have some discussion questions, or you can do it over a beer, over a coffee, over a glass of wine. You can do it with just adults. You can do it with your family. It's designed to try to help unpack further these same three main questions. Is there really a God? Is Jesus really God? Did he really start this church? And to be able to kind of say, okay, where am I in relationship to these? And where do I start my prayer? Yeah, this is awesome. So honestly, I I would say that uh, it's like covering all the things that I feel like when I've worked for parishes, I've had to supplement on my own. And so that's awesome. I mean, that makes me happy because I think so many programs come out that are like they obviously aren't talking to parish workers, you know, like people who are in the trenches trying to actively evangelize. And so much of what you just said are things that I've had to supplement in my program. So this is, this is like a, I mean, I, it's like you said, I hate the phrase silver, silver bullet, but it's like a more complete package than, than what I've seen so far. So I'm really excited about this. I mean, I think it's going to have incredible potential to draw people in and then send them out. You know, that's the hope, Dave. And honestly, like, like I look at like I look at you guys and I look at someone like you guys are asking the right questions. I mean, not just on this podcast, but trying new things. You're you're involved in the life of the parish. You're looking at other paradigm shifts. You're looking at the way culture is shifting, like as we're shifting from millennials to, to Gen Z to iGen. You're looking at all those things and saying, okay, how do we ask these questions? And and you know, your parishes are lucky to have you saying, Hey, this is what we need to do, or hey, I have an idea. So that so the 99 is really just putting tools in the hands of people who know who really know what they're doing. But it's also trying to help people who maybe aren't accustomed to thinking that sure. way. Do you know what I mean? Aren't staffs aren't accustomed to having those kinds of conversations to try to have a new conversation. You know, and and I don't by any stretch of the imagination, I don't believe like, oh, this is gonna solve everybody's problem. I'm looking at this like I just want to help be part of the solution. And if this is if this can be the first step. In the bigger solution, or for a, for a parish, or, this be like a, a, or the first steps for some people to learn how to more joyfully, more passionately, more zealously like articulate the faith, articulate what God's doing in their life. 
then then praise be Jesus. You know what I mean? Like th- this should I I I I think when we get into this mentality of oh this is a one stop shop for everything, that's where people go wrong. This is not a one stop shop for everything. It's just it's it's to move it's to start moving people in the right direction or to get people that are moving in the right direction to give them some some new arrows in their quiver. Yeah, I think just even changing the conversation is going to be a power a really powerful thing because for so, I mean people don't realize like what a what a cat an unbelievable change that is for people at in parishes to start asking the right questions to start asking what they've been doing before and evaluating any kind of real fruit other than have our numbers grown or have they lessened you know i mean there's just it just doesn't happen yeah and one of the things that i've also realized is like i love new things new initiatives uh you know because i see that a, a brand new thing is a catalyst for drawing on new people, right? And so it's like, how can I bring them on board, and then how can I keep them growing? And one of the problems that I've seen over and over again is when you overemphasize learning in terms of learning the doctrine of the church, Mm -hmm. and you don't have, I would say two things, an experiential component where, like, as a community, we encounter this experience, this whatever it is, but also you don't have a prayer formation component. Uh, mm-hmm. And I guess I would add to that a, a moral component. What you end up doing is you create book smart Catholics who are just as liable to the fires of Gehenna as anyone else, right? Mm-hmm. Like they don't actually, they're not making an act of faith in Christ. They're making mm-hmm. an act of agreement with this thing called the Catholic church an institution. And that's it. And they're not changing. Yeah. They're and, not changing and that's the thing. Really. Like Dave said that a while ago when we were talking about, our testimony when people balk at it and say like, well, I've just always been Catholic. I don't have a sensational testimony. And our response is we're not looking for a sensation, but we're looking for transformation. Like the more you take in the word, the more it changes you and the deeper desire you have. So for me personally, um, grabbing onto new tools, it's, it's so funny because like the 99 is great. Because, so I got to see a handful of these videos and uh, Leah Daros is, I think my favorite so far by just watching her because I've heard her story so many times. I bought her book, uh, The Other Side of Beauty. I've heard her. We ha- I have had her on my other show with Luke, um, Catching Foxes. Like We've gone through this stuff, and I've heard her story. But the way that it was done was beautiful and artistic in a way that it's not just – even though it's just her talking, it was – and I think I mentioned this. It was so perfectly done. It was captivating. It was – it drew you into the story. So it's not like we're doing something radically new. No, Leah Darrow, Darrow is sharing her testimony. But this is the art of the actual medium now is Ascension has invested in people who can make this beautiful and captivating. Mm-hmm. Because if I get at the if I walk the runway and sit down and share my story, uh, it's it's not like it's so perfectly her. It matches her and how they did it. And how it connected with her. See, that's the thing that I think so much is missing. Like, I can set up a camera. In fact, I've done this millions of times. I've set up cameras in my church, hit record with the remote, and then talked into the camera. But this is a an immersion. It is film well done. And so that's why, that's the new part. It's like, well, we're doing the same thing. We're sharing our witness. The gospel is always presented through a witness. But this is the beautiful thing. We have these resources now that we can make this shine. And that's where I think, that's where, uh, yeah. It's, uh, it drives me insane when people are so quick to dismiss new stuff. But it's like, this is an old thing, a testimony, done in a beautiful and new way. 
Let's do this. And I'm so glad you keyed into that, Grammar, because you know when we, when we were shooting these videos, people said, "Why is this project taking so long?" Because we shot in so many different locations with so many different people, and it wasn't just about, "Hey, we have Father Mike Schmitz, and he's really engaging." Put him in front of a of a stack of library books. Put him in front of a bookcase, <laughs> like every other like Catholic video. It's like, no, you know what? It, it, again, if if evangelization was just as simple as just sharing information, wouldn't everybody be Catholic? Wouldn't everybody be Christian? It's more than that. It's not just about the content. It's about the articulation of the content. How do we articulate it? And that's why when we're talking earlier, it's the context. Yeah, kind of. Yes, it's yes, absolutely, it's context. And I mean, it's it's not just the content. You know, the 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 details. It's the context. You know, how they're all woven together, and and being able to articulate what God's done in your life. That's why when you say like, have you have you prepared your testimony? Have you practiced your testimony? Things like that. People go practiced it. Like, what are you talking about? And well, no, you know, I just I I just you know they, they use the old Saint Francis quote, which isn't a real Saint Francis quote. You know, I preach the gospel and use words when necessary. And I think that sometimes people use that as a as a safety blanket or a shield or a get out of hell free card. It's, well, you know, I, I just want people to see I, I'm Christian by my by my attitude <laughs> and by the way I live my life. That's great. And as soon as you're as holy as St. Francis, be my guest. Okay. I'm not as holy as St. Francis. I need words. And I need to know I, I need words on Thanksgiving dinner when I get sat next to my one sister-in-law, you know, and we do not share political or theological viewpoints. You know, I need words when I'm when I'm on the plane next to that person, you know, at 30,000 feet who starts sharing their brokenness with me. You know, I need words with my atheist barista who we've gotten from atheist to agnostic over a span of three years, but we're going to keep walking. You know what I mean? Like you need to have words, but you don't have to have all the perfect words. You just need to know what God's doing in your own life. And that the more aware that we are of our own sin, the more readily we can articulate the God that is mercy and the more readily and, and uh, available we are to the spirit for use at any given moment. So it's, it's awesome because so many of the phrases that you've used during the show are like the everyday show about catchphrases that we say yeah. over and over yeah. and over again. Even last week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Even last week. And I just think, you know, all of you out there, like, you know, you got to get into this program. These guys who are part of this are, They've been sharing the gospel for a long time, introducing people to Jesus Christ for so long. Um, they know what they're doing, and this is a, an awesome program coming out from Ascension Press. We're we're so thankful to be you know to be able to have a part in even promoting this. So, um, Mark, we're going to put you on the spot here because every week we come up with practical takeaways for evangelization that we want people to have something that they could do today, right? And we give them five, but we're not going to make you give them five unless you're ready for that. But when we come back from the break, we're going to give the five practical takeaways, right, Gomer? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, during this break, people, you should fire up your email client of choice and email us at eksb at ascensionpress.com and let Keep us them know. Keep them coming. Yes, we want to hear. We, we These have... emails are like keeping me up at night now. I like know. I'm having to think about them a lot now. I know. You know, like what would I really do in this situation? And it's you know? great because uh, we're getting people who are saying not, uh, not just that, you know, give us questions or whatever to answer. But how the takeaways have started to change stuff. And we look forward to sharing a bunch of those stories as we come forward. So coming up next, we are going to have Mark's uh, takeaways, practical practical points that you can live the gospel. And if you're looking for a way to learn more about your Catholic faith, I invite you to check out the Ascension Presents YouTube channel. 
you're going to find tons of free videos featuring Catholic presenters like Matt Frad, Leah Darrow, Jackie and Bobby Angel, and Emily Wilson. Go to youtube.com slash ascension presents. That's youtube.com slash ascension presents. And if you like what you see, please share and subscribe. Welcome back to Every Knee Shall Bow. Hope you had a nice break there and heard uh, from our friends at Ascension Press. We're so happy to be a part of of, uh, what Ascension Press does and what they do for the church. Um, Again, if you uh, have a question about evangelization, about discipleship, about anything really about advancing the kingdom of heaven, we want to hear from you. Uh, You can email us at eksb at ascensionpress.com. We're getting a lot of emails now for requests for events between Gomer and I. And the problem is the event space won't be big enough to contain our yeah. heads together. Yeah, our egos are so, egos I mean, far just, too big. The egos are just so so maybe just choose one of us. Hi, so do much. you have French doors that we can enter? <laughs> we also like to enter at the same time with yeah. the final countdown right. playing over right. loudspeakers. Yeah. So and if you could you like know. make one of those things that they have before like a football game where we run through the paper that's that's one of our requirements for that oh gomer plowed into a cheerleader again this is the third time this week we took about a thousand boltons and glued them together so you guys can run through them anymore except the catholic realtors so So many uh so much papyrus in those bulletins so much papyrus buckle up because uh we're here for our practical takeaways here and this time we got mark hart uh and and you know he's gonna give us some practical takeaways here again remember these are things that you can do today to get involved in advancing the kingdom of heaven. And it, wherever you are, they're just ready for you to just step out of the boat, really. Mark, go ahead. Take us off. <laughs> okay. Uh, number one, I'd say I, I've started doing this recently, and it's really made a big difference. As part of your morning prayer, whether that's when you're still laying in bed, morning offering, or maybe when you're just nursing that third or fourth cup of coffee, as part of your morning prayer, pray and ask the Lord for greater awareness of the people he's putting in your life in your path this day, you know what I mean, today. So not just the people in your home, which is obviously the, the most important, uh, or your coworkers, but you know, for that, for that person that's going to be serving you lunch, for that person that you maybe are pumping gas next to at the gas station, you know, the person that you pick up your dry cleaning, whatever it is. But pray for a heightened awareness because God's going to put people in your path today that he wants to use you. You know, uh, he wants to use your hands and feet. He wants to use your voice. He wants to be Christ to them. You know, it might just be like that kind look, that kind word, that act of mercy, of hospitality. But he's putting people on our path constantly. You know, the old Mother Teresa adage, love the people in the five foot circle around you. You know what I mean? So I'd say one, so pray in the morning for heightened awareness. And to bookend that, number two, every night, if you don't already, um, pray that examination of conscience at the end of the day. Lord, how did I do today? If you don't know where to start, maybe go to Romans 12 verses 9 through 21. St. Paul gives a great gut check. Um, have I been have I been slag in my zeal? Have I anticipated others and showing honor? Um, those who did wrong to me, did I did I just love them and give acts of kindness? But do that examination of conscience because I, I believe that, you know, evangelization begins with self-awareness, where we are and where we're not. You know what I mean? Like um, you become like the people that, like the five people you spend the most time with, you know what I mean? So as you look in your life, like, who am I spending time with? Who am I being challenged by? Who, who are my walking partners? You know, at the end of the day, that's, those become really real. And you start to see, you know what? I've been kind of slothful in my prayer. If you're doing examination contests every day, you know what? I was really prone to outbursts of anger or annoyance today. It really does kind of call us to something higher. And it also shows us where, you know what? We're so self-involved and so self-absorbed that we missed opportunities to share the gospel or to share Christ with people. Um, again, I was, I'd also say, and this is really unpopular because I love my social media and I love my phone. 
we have to be able to put our phones down more often um, to be really present to the people around us, whether that means putting it in a drawer when you're home, um, putting it down when you're you know, at, at a meal, even putting it down when you're like just waiting for somebody, you know, waiting for somebody to come out of, you wait for your kid to come out of their activity or you know, you're waiting for someone else. I mean, how many opportunities, how many conversations are missed and lost because we're just locked in our screens? And the last one, and this one really hurts because I'm an introvert and it's easier for me to text than it is to call. But you know what, it, when, when you're, when you're tempted just to text that person to tell them that information, that friend, that family member, take the five minutes and call them. And even if they're a worse introvert than you and they don't want to take the call, at least leave them a, a voicemail, you know, but there is something to be said for old fashioned, old fashioned, I put in air quotes, conversation. We've lost the art of conversation. And, and I, I really believe this, this impacts our prayer life because if we get in a text message mentality where all we're ever doing is I'm going to disseminate information to you. I'm going to text because I'm going to tell you what you need to know. If that's all we do, it's very one-sided. Is it really any wonder we can't hear the voice of God in our prayer and why we get so antsy, why we're looking for that, that constant stimulation and that immediate gratification? Because we are very much an ATM, iTunes, text-happy culture who's not accustomed to waiting for anything or receiving you know, anything back like in terms of a spoken word. And I think that the more that we can get back to having conversations again, asking people questions again, which is a lost art form as well, instead of just talking about ourselves, but asking people questions and seeking to know how they really are, that is paving the way. You know, we can't just start with God conversation all the time. We have to show this. Okay, fine. I'll just put it this way. This is a, this is a great rule for life. So any people who are engaged or newly married pay specific attention to this. All right. If the person you're speaking to does not believe beyond the shadow of a doubt that you care more about them and their soul than you care about being heard or being right, no words you say matter. You've lost the conversation. You, the person you're speaking to has to care, has to feel as though you care more about them than you do about being heard or being right. And that's a rule for marriage. It's a rule for life. But they will not know that if we don't actually have a conversation and ask questions. I'll shut up now. That's my soap. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. No, the, no, those were awesome. And they were so, I mean, honestly, I think you all should do, especially the phone call thing, but unless you're calling me, just text me, <laughs> everyone else, you got to call everyone else. But for me, yeah, I think mine's broken. Um, but those were awesome. So let's go through them real quick. So we got the daily examination of conscience, the daily divine appointment prayer, you know, God show us who you want us to reach out to. Uh, the, the next one was about social media, right? It was about social media. No, 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 no. Number one right, go, 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 was go, go, the go. morning offering, a focus oh, yeah, on the offering. divine appointment. Number two was the evening examine, right? Let God kick your butt, right? Yeah. Then number three was the whole phone. So like, put it away and just be with the people that you're with. Yeah, right. right number right. four was the phone call. And Dave, you're going to give us number five. Yeah, number five, by the 99. It's going to be uh, ready for order. It'll be available uh, August 19th, 2019. Okay, August 19th, 2019. But I believe pre-sale starts today. Is that what I heard correctly? Yep. Did you guys hear that? Okay. Yeah, pre-sale starts today. So, this guys, this program's awesome. We're, we're excited about it. You're going to be excited about it. And and go to ascensionpress.com and check out the, nine, the 99. Yeah. I wouldn't have let Mark Hart come on here if I did not like the 99. We, <laughs> I would have hemmed and hawed. I would have lost his phone number. Right. I was, yeah. I was yeah. critical. I know. At first, remember, too. I was skeptical. I saw an evangel, I saw an evangelization training, and it was all big Catholic speakers. And I was like, I don't know. I just don't know about this. And then I was so sold as soon as I watched the first video. And weirdly enough, we're not in. <laughs> 
That'll be round two. That'll be round two. I think I'm like peeking behind a corner <laughs> and one. No, I'm just kidding. No. Gomer never returns my phone calls. That's the problem. Well, you know, so. maybe if you text more. <laughs> <laughs> well All well right, played. ladies and gentlemen, we want to thank our special guest, Mark Hart. Mark, where can people find you? Uh, you find me They're over, looking online. over at lifeteen.com. Uh, they can find me on Twitter uh, at, uh, at LT underscore the Bible Geek or on Instagram at Bible Geek. And you can even find me on Facebook. We go there sometimes too, just for all of us that are Gen X and older. <laughs> awesome. So that's where Dave is. Uh, we, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> this has been yet another episode of Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. God bless y'all.